if you'll open your Bibles this morning to Proverbs chapter 29, and for those of you who are joining us at home, if you'll take your Bible, open it to the book of Proverbs, and I just encourage you to follow along today as we study God's Word together, and I want you to know that even though you're home and we're here, you're just as much a part of this service as we all are here in the room, and you're just as much a part of what God is doing at First Baptist as you would be if you were here. So thank you for joining us uh, at home today, and take your Bible and follow along. Today we're going to be thinking about the purpose of the church. Why are we here? What is the purpose and the reason for our existence? You know, if you drive down the streets of our city today, you're going to see businesses on every corner. And I'll guarantee you, each and every one of those businesses could tell you their purpose statement. This is why they would say, we are here. If you drive down Fairmont Park, Parkway on the left at the Beltway, you're going to see Lowe's. On the right, you're going to see Home Depot. Those businesses exist to sell people things for their homes. That is why they're there. You can go by HEB or Kroger, any of these grocery stores. They exist so that people can buy food. You drive by a car dealership. They exist so people can buy cars. You drive by Krispy Kreme. That organization exists so you can have a healthy breakfast and start your day eating what you should eat. But what about the church? Why are we here? What is the purpose of our church? Now, let me say before I answer that question that it is very important that we answer that question. Because if we don't ourselves have a clear understanding of why the church is here, then we will flounder and we'll never be all that God intended for us to be. So what is the purpose of the church? Well, before I answer that question, I want to show you a verse in Proverbs chapter 29 and verse 18. Now, normally when I'm preaching, I'm preaching out of the New King James. But today I want to show you this verse from the Old King James. And I want us to put it on the screen because this verse is really helpful as we think about what is the purpose of our church. And you'll notice that the verse says this, where there is no vision the people perish. Can we just read that together and say it out loud? Where there is no vision, the people perish. And so if we don't have a clear vision of why we're here, if we don't understand our purpose, then we as a church would ultimately perish and not be anything like God would intend for us to be. Where there's no vision, the people perish perish. The opposite of that is also true. Where there is a vision, the people flourish, and the church does what the church is supposed to do. Now, how do we determine our purpose? How do we know what our vision is? Well, i tell you how we don't do it. We don't do it by dividing everybody into little groups of eight or ten people and, and me saying to this group, now, y'all take a few minutes and talk about what you think the purpose of the church is, and then in a few minutes you can report it back to the Lord. And over here, y'all kind of try to, in your section, kind of just kick around the idea, what do you think, the, why do you think God put the church on the earth? And you kind of tell us what you think, and then the staff... We go back to our meeting room and we say, okay, we're going to really brainstorm and kick some ideas around and, and we're going to come up with the purpose of the church. Think about this, friend. Jesus Christ founded the church and so he has already established what the purpose is. And so we don't sit back and say, well, you know, I think the church should do this, that, and the other. No, we take the we take the Bible, we begin to read it, and we say, God, what is the purpose that you have already determined for your church? That's how we get a vision. Where there's no vision, the people perish. Where there is a vision, the people flourish. But how do we get a vision for what God wants the church to be? Well, think about this. What is vision? Vision is the ability to see. 
If you go to the eye doctor, how is that eye doctor going to determine your vision? He's going to or she is going to give you something to read. It used to be a big chart on the wall, and you would sit back and you would say, E, that's the first letter is E, and then you would go down. Now it's sophisticated, you put your face up on this thing, but nonetheless, your eyes are looking at something that has already been produced, it's already been written as it were, and your vision is determined by your ability to read what somebody else wrote. Well, the same is true spiritually. We get our vision for the church by our ability to read what God has already written. In other words, in this book, the Bible, God lays out his vision. And so it's not for you to decide or me to decide or some committee to decide. God's already decided. And so here's how you get a vision. You open the Bible and you begin to read and you say, God, lead me to the places in the scripture where it talks about your vision for the church. Now, an interesting thing happened at First Baptist a long, long time ago. Back in the 1970s, a man named Daryl Robinson pastored this church, still living today, Brother Daryl, and he's been a real blessing to my dad through the years, been a real encouragement to me through the years as well. He's just a great Christian. He's a great pastor. When he was here during the 70s, he taught the church, and those were years of great growth in the church, he taught the year, the church, the purpose or the vision by coming up with a little three-step process. Now, he didn't make it up. It came from the Bible. He kind of made the wording up or got the wording how he wanted it to be. But I want to put this on the screen today, and I want to see, I want us to see if we would have been members of First Baptist in the 1970s, our pastor would have said, this is the purpose of the church. He worded it like this. He said, first of all, we are here to exalt the Savior. Number two, we are here to equip the saints. And number three, we are here to evangelize the sinner. Now, again, he didn't make those purposes up. He put it in his own words, but that's how he taught the church. We're here to exalt the Savior, to equip the saints, and to evangelize the sinner. Now, my dad's been pastor here for over 30 years. He's never actually used Brother Darrell's words, but he's built his whole ministry on that whole concept. That's what he has taught the church. We're here to exalt the Savior, equip the saints for the works of ministry, and to evangelize the sinner. Now, back when this pandemic first began, you know, we here at the church were all kind of trying to figure out what to do. We weren't having services with people. Services were online, and we were very limited in what we could do. So we started calling people, checking on people. How's everybody doing? And I started thinking to myself, well, you know what? We can't right now do everything we would like to do, but we can maybe do some things we couldn't normally do. And so one of the things I started thinking of was what is the purpose of the church? And I began to look at what Brother Darrell had said. My dad and I had many conversations back in April and May and early part of June about the purpose and the vision statement. How do we communicate to the people in 2020 what was, you know, what God would have us to communicate in the most appropriate verbiage and, and language? So I just began thinking about that, taking those concepts from Brother Darrell, exalt the Savior, equip the saints, evangelize the sinner. How can we maybe update that for a 2020 audience? And so I'll give you what I came up with, and this is kind of what we're, as a staff, unified around, and we're going, we're going with this right now. For exalt the Savior, we're going to say this, lift up Jesus. For equip the saints, we're going to say build up believers. And for evangelize the sinner, we're going to say reach out to others. And so Daryl's statement, Brother Daryl's was built mainly on alliteration, 
the three E's and the three S's. Our statement is built around these, these prepositions. Lift up Jesus, build up believers, and reach out to others. Now, let's say that together and get that in our mind. Can we do it? Ready? Lift up Jesus, build up believers, and reach out to others. Now, I'm not going to ask you which statement you like better, because if you like his better than mine, it's going to hurt my feelings, right? But either way, you can say it either way, but this is just what we're going to go with. Lift up, we are here to lift up Jesus, to build up believers. If you're saved already and you're trying to decide, well, why should I go to church every Sunday? Why should I be a part of, of what's happening at First Baptist? Well, here's one of the reasons why, so that you can hear lift up Jesus, but also so that you can be built up in your faith. Now, when the staff and we all began working on that Several months ago, Pam Deshaun and our entire education staff, what they did was they said, we want to take those three purposes and we want to illustrate that out and figure out what would that look like in the preschool area, in the elementary, the children's division, junior high, high school, college, in the adult ministry of the church. How do those three purposes flesh themselves out in all the different age groups of the church? And so they worked as an education staff very hard on this and they have prepared a beautiful little brochure with these three purposes and what it looks like in every area. So I encourage you today, on the way out at the tables there, pick up one of these, take it home, thumb through it, think about it, and uh, see how you can best plug in in one of these uh, ways here at the church. Now, as I have thought, and even on Monday of this week, I knew today was the day to share the vision and we talked talk about this is Revive Sunday. That's what we're praying. God, we're praying, God, revive us again. I had planned on preaching a sermon, and there were my three points. I already had the outline. I thought, well, how easy will that be? And then the more I got working on the first point, I thought, good night. If the second and third point are going to take as long as the first point, it would be a good sermon as long as nobody minded stay until about 2.30 this afternoon. Because it would take a long time to do that. And, and so we're gonna, what I want to do, I want to begin today a three-week series on the purposes of the church. Next week, build up believers. What does that mean and how do we do it? The next week, reach out to others. What does that mean and how do we do it? But for today, I want us to think about purpose one because it really is the most important. These others flow out of that. And that is the church of Jesus Christ is here for the purpose of lifting him up in everything we do. You believe that? Say amen. Now, open your Bibles to John chapter 12. Because as I think about everything that Jesus said about the church, and again, remember, he founded the church. Jesus knows how the church is supposed to operate and how the church is supposed to function. And in this verse, John chapter 12 and verse 32, I'm using, for our purpose statement, the actual words of Jesus. And he has used this phrase, lift up, talking about himself, John 12, 32. Jesus said, and I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. And so there's his language. He's talking about the cross. And Jesus was saying, if I'm lifted up from the earth, if I'm placed on that cross, and that cross is lifted up so that I can pay for the sins of the whole world, shed my blood for the forgiveness of, of everybody's sins, if I be lifted up, 
then I will draw all people to myself. Now, when Jesus is talking about being lifted up, again, he's talking about the cross. Turn back to John chapter 3. Familiar passage of Scripture here that makes this even clearer. In John 3, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. Nicodemus is asking Jesus how he can go to heaven. How can I be born again? He didn't understand it. And in verse number 14 of John 3, Jesus said, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness... Even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. See, our our words are coming right out of the Scripture. The Son of Man must be lifted up. Now, what's he talking about as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness? Well, you know, in the Old Testament, the children of Israel have been in Egyptian bondage for a long time. Finally, Moses led them out of Egypt. He was leading them to the Promised Land, but they had to spend many years in the desert because they didn't believe God. They complained against God. Their faith failed them. And on one occasion, God got so frustrated with what was happening that he allowed poisonous snakes to get in the camp. And those snakes would begin to bite the Israelites. And after they were bitten with those snakes, they began to die. And so many of the Israelites were dying in the desert. And so Moses goes to God and said, God, if you don't do something, we're not going to have anybody left. We're all going to die off. And so God said, Moses, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take some bronze, and I want you to make a bronze serpent. And then take that serpent, attach it to a pole, and then lift that pole in the air. And then anybody who has been bitten by one of these poisonous, venomous snakes, if they will just look to that serpent, they will be healed. Now, I'm sure Moses thought, now, God, that just doesn't make sense. How is looking to a serpent going to get that poisonous venom out of their bloodstream. But Moses didn't ask questions. He did what God told him to do. He, built, he made that serpent, put it on that pole, lifted it up, and sure enough, anybody who had been bitten by a snake, when they looked at that serpent, they were miraculously healed. The venom disappeared from their bloodstream, and they went on and lived out a full life. Now, in John chapter 3, Jesus is using that illustration. And he said, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up. So the purpose of the church is to do what? It is to lift up Jesus. Why? So that all of us who have been bitten by the poisonous snake that is sin, we can look to Jesus. And in looking to him, we can be saved, we can be forgiven, and we can spend eternity with God in heaven. Now, what's the promise? Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all people, everybody to myself. It's interesting. The most recent example I've had of this was in the first service. Stood up here, preached the same sermon to them that I'm preaching to you, lifting up Jesus, telling everybody if you look to Jesus. Remember what John the Baptist said? Here comes Jesus walking down by the Sea of Galilee one day. John the Baptist said, behold, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What does it say in Isaiah chapter 45? God said, look to me. Ours is a look and live gospel, a look and live message. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, first service, what did I do? I stood right here, did what I'm doing right now, lifted up Jesus. I said, if you'll look to Jesus, you've been bitten by sin, we all have. But if you'll look to Jesus, you can live, you can be forgiven, you can be saved. Gave the invitation. Three people along the back wall, on the back row back there, stood up. I've never seen them before. I don't know if they've ever been here before. But they stood up saying, we have asked Jesus to come into our heart. They got saved this morning. So the promise is, if we will lift up Jesus, he, not us, he will draw all people to himself. It is his church. This is the church of Jesus Christ. It's Christ's church. Jesus said, I will build my church. He did not say, I will build your church. 
Neither did he say, you will build my church. No. He said, I will build my church, and the first way I'm going to build it is by having people in positions of leadership and people who attend the services to lift me up in their services. And so the question is now, how do we lift up Jesus? Well, turn, if you would, to Colossians chapter number 1 in uh, a little bit to the right from uh, John in the New Testament. Colossians is one of the letters that Paul wrote. And in Colossians chapter 1, Paul gives us uh, one of the ways that we lift up Jesus. In fact, let's begin in Colossians chapter number 3. And let me say this. The first way in a church setting like this, here we are in church today. We've already done it. I'm just drawing attention to it. The first way that we lift up Jesus is through authentic worship. Our worship should lift up Jesus. Colossians chapter 3 and in verse 16. Paul said, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another. Now watch this. In psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And so he gives these three different types of music here, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. In the early church, when they would have their church services, they would sing psalms. In other words, they would take their Old Testament, open it up to the book of Psalms, and those, most of those psalms are songs. And so that was their song book. That was their book that they used to sing from. Sometimes in a service today, not often anymore, but sometimes we'll sing a song out of the psalms. For example, we might sing, from the rising of the sun, we did when we were kids, till the going down of the same. The name of the Lord shall be praised. That's, a psalm, that's Psalm 113. Sometimes in a church service we might sing, I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter his courts with praise. That's Psalm 100. And so the early church sang the psalms, but then it says they would sing hymns. What were hymns? Hymns were songs that were written that were strong in theology. And they were about God, and they were about the person of Jesus Christ. And in our services today, we still sing hymns. And then spiritual songs. What, are, what does that refer to? That refers to experiential music. In other words, songwriters would have gone through something in their lives. God would have met a need, answered a prayer, delivered them, done something. And so they would write these these spiritual songs, we might call this category the contemporary music. So Paul said, listen, when you come to church, whether you're singing a psalm from the Bible, a hymn about theology, or a spiritual song talking about what God has done in your own life, that's not the important thing. The important thing is what's happening in your heart. Now look at the rest of that verse. He says, verse 16, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And so when we sing these songs it has to be from the heart. I mean, we have to feel these songs. We have to feel the words of these songs. And Paul says, when you do that, when you worship me like that, or when you worship Christ like that, what are you doing? You're lifting Christ up through the uh, authentic worship. But there's a second way that we are to lift up Jesus, not just through our worship, but through the faithful teaching and preaching of God's Word. No Bible, no church. No Bible, no power. No Bible, no moving of the Holy Spirit. It is the living Word of God in a setting like this, open, preached, explained, taught, that changes people's lives. Look in Colossians chapter 1 in verse number 28. Just the first part of the verse. I love this. Paul says, Him, talking about Christ, capital H in my Bible. My, my Bible capitalizes pronouns for God. Him we preach. Say that with me. 
Him we preach. Say it again with a little more fire in your bones. Him we preach. Paul said, you need to understand this. He's, talking, he's writing to the church at Colossae. And he said, listen, in your worship services, you're going to be singing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. That's all wonderful. But the most important thing is that you sing those songs from your heart. It means something to you. If it means something to you, if your worship means something to you, it will mean something to God. If your worship means nothing to you, it will mean nothing to God, no matter how beautiful the singing is. So Paul said, in your services, be sure you're singing from your heart. But remember this too. Those of you in the church there in Colossae, I can't be there like I wish I could. Those of you in leadership in that church, remember this. You are there to preach Jesus. Him we preach. Christ we preach. What is the message of the church? It is Jesus Christ lifted up. Him crucified on that cross, shedding his blood for our sins. Jesus Christ lifted up as the one sufficient to meet our every need. Now, you still listen? Say amen. I want to make a statement that I know you'll agree with. And then I want to make a statement that you may or may not agree with. But the first one, we get a unanimous vote on this. Preaching Jesus is not as popular in our culture as it used to be. Now, if you believe that, say amen, because it's true. I mean, 50, 60, 75 years ago, preaching Jesus was much more culturally accepted than it is today. Today, when Jesus preached in our culture, what do the critics say? They say, you people are narrow-minded, you're, you're closed-minded. And you're saying that Jesus is the only way to heaven, and we don't believe it like that. We believe that we're all on the same road or different roads, but we're going to end up at the same place. Well, we respond to that by saying, listen, we don't mean to come across as narrow-minded or closed-minded, but Jesus said he's the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by him, so we have to be honest to what he has said. All truth is narrow, and yet the narrowness of the message of the gospel, that is Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven, has made the message not as popular in the culture as it used to be. So we all agree with that. But here's a statement you may or may not agree with. And that this second statement is much more concerning to me than the first one. And that is this. Preaching Jesus is not as popular in the church as it used to be. Now, I'm not talking about First Baptist Church. I'm just talking about the church generally speaking. It's not as popular to preach Jesus. I read a statistic between services today. I can't remember if it was 28%. I think it said... That in the world today, only 28% of the churches preach that Jesus Christ is the way to God, is the way to heaven. To only 28%. Well, what do the others preach? What I'm saying, in the church. You see, there are a lot of people when they come to church on Sunday, in their mind, they're thinking, you know what I need today? I've had a hard week. I'm down. I'm tired. I need to be encouraged. And we do need to be encouraged. And, and good preaching will always encourage you and lift you up. But some people, I think, have the idea when they come to church on Sunday, what I need is a good psychology lesson to kind of help me look at life a little better and help me to have a little more positive attitude. Let me say, I love psychology. When I was a student in college, I studied psychology. If I had it to do over again, I would have minored in psychology. Psychology is a fascinating field. But notice when Paul was writing to Colossians, he did not say, psychology we preach. He said, Christ we preach. Some people come to church, and especially now, here we are, election season, campaign going on, dominating the news, dominating our minds. Some people come to church on Sunday, and they say, hey, what we're really hungry for, give us a politically driven sermon. Now, let me say this. Politics is fascinating. 
Nobody follows it more closely than I do. At least I wouldn't think so. I'm interested in it. I keep up with the issues. I know where the candidates stand. I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm fascinated by the political process. But friend, I want to say this as clearly as I can. In this passage, Paul did not say, politics we preach. He said, Christ we preach. And I'll take that statement one step further. I want to be very clear on this. This is the church of Jesus Christ. And in this building, Jesus Christ is to be lifted up as Lord and as Savior. This is not the courthouse, the state house, or the White House. This is God's house. And in God's house, it's all about Jesus. J-E-S-U-S. Him we preach. Him we preach. And Jesus is saying to the preachers and those of you who are Sunday school teachers and connection leaders, he's not saying you can't ever address a political issue if it has biblical overtones. He's not saying you can't do some of that. But what he's saying is resist the temptation to preach anything other than Jesus Christ. Because if you preach anything other than Jesus, you're sending the people home as empty as they came. Lift up Jesus. Some people come to church and they say, well, you know, I didn't really want a political sermon. I don't really need psychology. But what I need is some practical tips on how to be more successful in life. Well, I'm all for success. I would rather succeed than fail. And in the Bible, we find passages that teach us how to have success. But notice this. Paul did not say success we preach. He said Christ we preach. You see, we as Christian people, we don't preach the effect We preach the cause. If you want to have a better self-esteem, if you want to have a stronger mindset, if you want to have a better attitude, if you want to be more successful, if you want to know where to stand on political issues, listen, listen to Jesus. Look to Jesus. He's the cause. All this other stuff is the effect. If you're trying to lose 25 pounds, let's just play like you are. And I want to close my eyes so I don't make eye contact with anybody right now. And you think, he must have been talking to me. I don't have anybody in mind. But let's say you're trying to lose 25 pounds. And so you go to the doctor this week or the nutritionist and you say, I need to lose 25 pounds. And he gives you a 30-minute session with him, a nutritionist, and he's going to help you, or she is, to know how to lose 25 pounds. I'm going to tell you what that nutritionist is not going to do. That nutritionist is not going to say for 30 minutes, lose 25 pounds, lose 25 pounds, lose 25 pounds, lose 25 pounds. He's not going to spend 30 minutes giving you the effect or the result. He's going to focus on the cause. And he's going to say, if you want to lose 25 pounds, here's what you have to do to do that. No more cheesecake for breakfast. you got to quit that. Knock out the carbs, more protein, more water, you know, late, late, late night, less late night snack. What's he saying? He's, he's going to focus on what you have to do that will help you reach your goal. And so it's the same in the church. When we lift up Jesus, what are we doing? We're helping people see how they can be successful. We're helping people see how they can be positive. We're helping people see how they can overcome whatever it is they're facing in life. And so... The church is here for the purpose of lifting up Jesus. How? Through authentic worship from the heart and also through the faithful teaching and preaching of God's Word. Now, let me just read. Uh, I've got to bring this train into the station here in just a moment. But let me, let me just read you what I have written in my notes here. This community. Now, I'm talking about, I'm talking about Pasadena, Deer Park, Laporte, Clear Lake, Seabrook, Kima, Houston, This community, and if I left out your community, I'm sorry, but you get the, I'm talking about this whole area. Listen to what I wrote. Needs to hear from us. That is from First Baptist Church. They need to hear this from us. That Jesus Christ is bigger than whatever it is they're going through. 
When somebody from the community comes to worship with us, even if they don't know God, they're not even a believer yet. They're on the fence. They don't know what to make of Jesus. But they come to a service one day, and they come in this room, and for the first half of this service, they are surrounded by people who are doing what? Who are authentically, through their worship, lifting up the person of Jesus Christ. That person needs to look at us and say, I don't know what he has. I don't know what she's got, but I need what they have. See, that's how we can lift up Jesus. And help them to understand that he is all they need. I wrote this in my notes. And this applies to somebody today, not just from the community who might come in. the But today, what you're going through, and we're all going through something. Whatever you're going through today is not as important and it is not as big as who you're connected to. In other words, if you're connected to Jesus Christ, Jesus is bigger than whatever it is you're going through. You say, John, explain that so I can... Well, first of all, he's bigger than your problems. Think about that. We've all had problems in life, and sometimes we have problems in life. Some, some of you today are facing, we just sang about a mountain, and God making that mountain move. You need, you need to God, for God to make a mountain move. Well, that you've got a problem. What I'm saying to you is, as I'm trying to just lift up Jesus, what I'm trying to do is say, hey, instead of focusing on your problem, whether it's a family problem, a financial problem, a health problem, or whatever, I'm just trying to take my, my finger, as it were, and put it under your chin and lift your head and say, look away from your problem and look to Jesus. I'm not saying ignore it, but I get done. I'm just saying look at it from a different perspective. Jesus, Jesus Christ is bigger than your problem. You know, as I was preparing this sermon earlier in the week, I got to thinking about times in my life when I've had problems. And I started thinking about you know, there have been a lot of seasons in my life through the years I've been here. I've come to church on Sunday, and I didn't really, at that time, have any problems. I had peace in my heart. My circumstances were great. I felt like I was king, not king of the world, but I felt like I was on top of the world. But there have been other times in my life when I've come to church here at First Baptist on a Sunday, and I have been about as low as low could be, and I've been facing things in my life, and I didn't know how they would work out, and I, I didn't know what was going to happen, and I, I didn't know the future, and and, you know, in the, earlier in this service, Chris was leading us to sing that song. And there's a line in the song that said, He never failed me yet. And he, we're just singing that today. And while we were singing that song, my mind is going back to times in my life when I have come to this room on a Sunday and I've been going through something and I thought, God, you never failed me yet. I can remember in 2011 coming to this church on a Sunday before I was going to have vocal cord surgery the next week. And I remember thinking, God, I don't know what's going to happen in this surgery. I don't know what my voice is going to sound like when I get finished. I don't know if I'm going to have a voice. I don't know if I'll be able to preach again. But God, this is what was in my heart. You've never failed me yet. And you've called me to preach, and I believe you're going to make it where I can preach. And before I even had the surgery, in my heart I had the faith. I just thought, God, you've never failed me yet. I can remember being in this church on a Sunday. Before I had surgery to, to remove a malignant tumor on my kidney the following Tuesday, not knowing the outcome, not knowing what was going to happen. Thankfully, it worked out fine. But I remember in my heart, I was like, God, I don't know what's going to happen down there at St. Luke's Hospital on Tuesday, but you've never failed me yet. 
And see, when a person comes to church and you're up against it, man, you're going through it and you've got a vocal cord surgery, you've got a cancer surgery this week, you've got somebody you love who's going through something this week and you come to church and you sing, God, you've, ne- you've never failed me yet. What are you doing? You're expressing your faith to God. You're confessing your faith in God. You're magnifying the person of Jesus Christ. Paul, in the Old Testament, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. You're lifting up Jesus and what's he doing? He's filling your heart with peace. I can remember in 2019, after my mother was diagnosed with lymphoma, and it didn't look good at all, and I can remember being in this church on the Sunday before she began her chemotherapy treatments, and I was just thinking, God, I don't know what's going to happen with this. I don't know what's going to happen to my mom, and it just breaks my heart. In fact, when, I, when she first got that diagnosis and I thought about what could happen to her, I just couldn't stop crying, and for 10 days... I was just one big basket case, to be honest with you. I just cried and cried. And I would even call her on the phone, and I would say, Hey, Mom, I'm just calling to see how you're doing. And she says, Hey, honey, I'm glad you called. And when I heard her voice, I start crying again. I said, Mom, i got to go. I just hung up on my mother just like that. I did that many times. And I'm sure she thought, Well, if all you're going to do is hang up on me, why do you keep calling me? You don't supposed to hang up on your mother. That's rude. But I couldn't stop crying. I couldn't stop crying. One day, I cried for 10 days. And at the end of those 10 days, on a Saturday before Mother's Day, 2019, I got a call from a preacher friend of mine in Georgia. His name is Gene Tyre. Everybody calls him Doc. He's got his doctor's degree. Everybody just calls him Doc. And he said, John, how you doing? I heard about your mom. I said, I'm not doing well at all. I said, man, her whole abdomen is eating up with this lymphoma. And she's going to start the chemo. And the doctors have said, they don't know if her heart can take it, if her kidneys can take it, if she can even survive the treatment. I said, I've never even thought about living my life without my mother. I said, I don't know. I, I don't, I'm not doing well at all. And so he just patiently listened to me and, and he talked with me. And, and as that conversation went on, he made a statement that was the turning point for me. And he, what was he, he wasn't preaching at me, but he was talking to me. And he was helping me to see, he was lifting up Jesus in his own tender way. He said, you know, John, he said, first of all, I don't think your mother's going to die. He said, there's a lot of bridges that she would have to cross before she died of this. He said, but John, let's just play it on out. He said, we all know, we both know that if we live long enough, we're all going to die. And he said, here, here was a statement he made. He said, John, we have devoted our lives to telling people that if they have received Jesus Christ upon their physical death, they will be transported immediately into the presence of God in heaven. He said, we have devoted our lives to that. He said, do you believe what you preach? I said, Doc, I believe what I preach. But this is my mama I'm talking about. He said, I know it is. And he said, I know you're a mama's boy, basically what he was saying to me. But he basically said this to me. He said, John, as much as you love your mother, God loves her even more. Our times are in his hands. And I'm not going to say I never cried after that conversation, but I can say this. I never had the, un- I never had the uncontrollable sobbing that I had had for those 10 days. What did Doc do? He lifted up Jesus, and he helped me to see, John, even if things don't turn out from a human perspective, like you wish they would, because of Jesus Christ and because of heaven, everything's going to be all right. Amen? I want to say to you today, friend, I don't know what you're facing. I don't know what your mountain is. I don't know what you're up against. But I know this. 
if you will keep your focus on Jesus. I read the verse last week in my Bible, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 27. It says, Moses endured. Isn't that what we need in our lives? To be able to endure when things get done. Moses endured how? By seeing him who is invisible. And today, if we could just see Jesus as being bigger than our circumstances, bigger than our problems, he would fill our hearts with an incredible peace. Amen? Father, I thank you today that no matter what we go through in life, that you truly are bigger than everything that we'll face. With your heads bowed and eyes closed, what are you facing today that seems insurmountable? What mountain is in front of you today that is so big you can't climb over it? It's so thick you can't dig through it? It's so wide you can't go around it? And it's paralyzed you. Friend, I'm not saying to you today that that mountain's not there. I'm not trying to give you a pep talk saying, well, you, you've just... You know, you've just dreamed that problem up. Some problems we do dream up. Some problems are real. I'm saying today you may be facing the biggest mountain of your life, and I'm not telling you that it's not there, but I'm telling you this. If you'll lift your eyes up beyond that mountain, the psalmist said, I will lift up my eyes to the hills from whence cometh my help. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. I'm saying look above the mountain. Look beyond the mountain. Look to Jesus. The old song, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and in the light of his grace. Would you just look to Jesus? All over the room, Christian people, just say this to Jesus. Say, Jesus, you see what I'm up against. But I believe that you are bigger than this. And whatever the outcome, I choose to trust you. I'm telling you, if you'll do that, I'm telling you on the authority of God's Word. I'm telling you from personal experience, if you will trust Jesus, you will have peace even before the problem is solved. I had peace before God healed my vocal cords. I had peace before God healed me of that cancer. I had peace before God healed my mother. I had peace before the outcome because my faith wasn't in the outcome. My faith was in Jesus. And that's where your faith must be too. Others here today, you say, John, I don't have any peace and I don't know this Jesus. I'm one of those you spoke of earlier. I'm on the fence. I'm trying to figure out what I believe. But somehow I can't explain it. But as you just stood up there today and lifted up Jesus, a look and live gospel. And as you said, if I would look to him like those people in the Old Testament, look at that serpent, that I could be healed, forgiven and saved. Something's happening in my heart that I can't understand. I can't explain it, friend. I can understand it, and I will explain it. That is the Holy Spirit of God taking the preached Word, taking the uplifted Jesus, and making Him real to you. And there's not a doubt in my mind today that I can feel it in my heart. There are people in this room today who need to be saved and who need to know that they're saved. And so today, if there's not full assurance in your heart if you have any doubt or question as to whether you stand with Je- where you stand with Jesus Christ whether or not you're saved would you just pray this prayer right now in our student section all across the room on the ground level on the side levels up in the top just pray this say Lord Jesus today I have seen the answer to my problem 
my problem of guilt, regret, shame? The answer is Jesus. God, my sins are big, but I believe your grace is bigger. And let me tell you, it is. Where, great, where sin abounds, grace superabounds. Would you pray this? Say, Lord Jesus, right now, I ask you to come into my heart, forgive my sins, and make me a Christian. I ask you to save me, Jesus. And I trust you to do it. Now, if you'll trust him, that'll seal it. That'll settle it. And you'll know that you're saved. Tell him that. Thank you, Jesus, for hearing my prayer, for saving my soul.